I want to tell you a story about Maximilian Colby. Maybe. How many of you know the story of Maximilian Colby? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Don't do this like <laughs> Okay, it's worked out. <clears throat> okay, so St. Maximilian Colby uh, was a good and holy man. He was a manly man. And uh, he was, he did a lot of things uh, for, for the church. And, but at one point, he got taken as a prisoner in Auschwitz for the Nazi prison camp. And while he was a prisoner there, <clears throat> he said, there, there, so every time, like if somebody escaped from Auschwitz, maybe knows, whenever, whenever somebody escaped, they always did however many escaped per one person, 10 people, would be chosen to suffer from, suffer from starvation. And so uh, one guy escaped, and <clears throat> Maxwell and Colby was standing there, and they're all in line, right? And they said that the Lagerfuhrer, he was the kind of the head of Auschwitz at that time, he would just walk down the lines, you know? And he would stop, and he would turn and face a guy. Because they knew 10 guys were going to go to this cell where they starved him to death, right? And he just stared at a guy, and he would just wait until they st they'd just break down, they'd start crying, they'd fall, they'd pee their pants. Some of the guys, can you imagine what that would be like? Because you're about to be picked, and he would just stand, and then once, and he said the, the evil of this man, like after the guy would break, he would just be like, and keep walking, <clears throat> you know? Or one that would break, he'd say, take him. And he'd just go down, and he'd pick ten people from out of all the prisoners. And one guy, he came to him, and he said, he said, the guy's like, please, no, he's like, I have a family, he's like, I, I need to live, I can't die, I need to provide for him. And the guy, you know, he was getting, the lagerfeer was getting mad. And at that point, and the crazy part about the story is somehow, like if you stepped out of line in Auschwitz, you were beaten like to the point of death. Somehow, Maxwell Colby walks all the way up to where this guy is. And he says, he says, I want to exchange my life for his. And the lagerfeer turns around and, you know, like, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, how did he get here without being beat? You know, and he's like, who are you? And he said, I'm a Catholic priest. And they, it said, recounted, that the, the Lagerfeuer actually took a step back. You know, imagine, like, there's this scene between these two, like, this just the face of evil and the face of sanctity. And he says, I'm a Catholic priest. And the guy's like, frick. <laughs> and he backs up a little bit, and he said, and for some reason, still, I mean, you know, this is God's providence. He says, he says change him. And so Max, Maximilian goes to, to the cell. And while he's in the cell... They, they, they sing together, they pray together, they were converting the guards, so they had to switch the guards out, <laughs> you know, like, it was this beautiful story of this man, and they just, they, they would die one by one, right, and say, Maxwell and Colby would lead them in songs to Our Lady and prayers, and they would be praying for, their, for, the, for the Nazis and those who were dying and the persecutors, and he was the last one to die, he was the last one to die. And they came in and they, gave, they had a shot of carbolic acid, right? Because he just, the guy wouldn't die. You know, like, that's the funny part about the saints. They try to kill him so many ways. Like, like, the main way to kill a saint is either, like, inject him with some or cut their head off. That's the only way they're going down, right? <laughs> but they come in and he's, he's sitting there and he can barely move at this point because he's, he's starved to death. You know, I think it was like two weeks he had been. And uh, they came in and they, he said, put out your arm. And he put out his arms like this and he said, Ave Maria. Which means Hail Mary. And they stuck it in and he died. So, like, now, now for me, that's a man. <laughs> like, that is a dude. You know, I mean, I think I'd have been the guy crying and be like, I got a family. Everybody's like, he's a priest. I'm like, shut up, I got a family. <laughs> you know? Like, I want to believe that I would be strong in that situation. You know? I, I hope I would. And, and I have, like, like, my idea, like, I want martyrdom. 
I do, but I want martyrdom where like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, boom, you know, like through the brain. And my, my head explodes. <laughs> but I don't want the martyrdom where they're like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, okay, rip his fingers off one by one, you know? <laughs> Pull his eyebrows off, stick branding hot, you know, iron into his armpits. Like that happened. You know the story of the North American martyrs? Those guys were crazy. The amount of suffering they said was the most gruesome martyrdom to ever happen in the Catholic Church. There's John de Brebeuf and Isaac Jobes, right? And then there were about six other guys. The, the crazy part, I think it was Isaac Jobes, he went over, they scalped him and bit off his fingers. He went back to France, healed, and then went back. I mean, how many of us would do that? All in the name of just trying to get them to accept Jesus and stop the human sacrifice and all the, the, the crazy stuff that was going on. So he gets back, John David Buff and these other guys get back. Well, what happened was, is people started getting sick. <clears throat> Obviously because they were bringing new diseases from, you know, from France, modern world, into these, these crazy missions that they were at, of the Huron Indians. And while they were there, they, like, there was witch doctors who were saying, it's the black robes, because they wore these black robes. They call, that's what they call them, the black robes. They said, the black robes are the one that are bringing this evil pestilence upon us, and if we don't get rid of them, they are going to kill every one of us. And so the Iroquois, which are part of the Huron Indians, I think, they came, these were the, like the warring people, and these, these guys were freaking crazy. And so they came and they said, we're putting an end to these guys because they're gonna kill our entire nation. So they put them first through this gauntlet. They made them like run down this gauntlet and everybody had a club. And as they ran, they would beat them with the club as they ran down the middle of it, right? They got done with that. They took them. You guys, it's just, it's insane what they did to these guys. So they chewed off their, hand, their fingers, right? On both hands. They took a brand. They took a brand from the fire and stuck it into one of the guy's mouths then into his armpits, then into like his, his anal cavity. Like this was crazy stuff. They took all these hatchets <clears throat> and they, they were just the metal part of the hatchet, you know, and they tied it together and they put it into the fire and then they pulled it out and put it on the guy's head. And so the hatchets were burning into his skull and like melting on, like down his face until they burned off and then they fell. And then he said, G and the whole time these guys are like, Jesus, have mercy on these people. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them for their sins. He's like, we just beg that one day they will, re they will receive baptism. That the word baptism, they knew what they were talking about. They went and got a boiling hot cauldron of water and dumped it over the top of them saying, we baptize you. After that, they went down through another gun. They were getting cut up. They were getting hit. You know, like one, at one point, like he's laying on the ground, like barely able to move. And they, they, he was still just staring at the guys, and they said he could, his lips were moving, but they were so mangled from being burned. And one guy, he stepped forward because he kept, he kept praying. He grabbed it, and he cut off his tongue, and he cut off his nose okay, with this, with this knife. Then, on top of this, right, so as he's sitting there staring, and like they couldn't take his eyes, so they took two Brandon logs and stuck them both into his eyes. I mean, like, this is shit. And the guy is still alive! That's what's incredible. It was such an incredible death that the, the chief of the tribe came with a hatchet at the end and buried it into his chest, ripped open his chest cavity, ripped out his heart, and ate it. Because he wanted, he said, this man is so brave and courageous, I want whatever he has. 
So they ate his heart. Like, it was the most gruesome martyrdom. And the whole time, now this is the crazy part. So the whole time that's happening to John Neighbor Buff and Isaac Jokes, the other like six guys are sitting in the corner. And what are they thinking? You know, like, frick. <laughs> this is coming to us too, you know? And the whole time, you know, they're shouting to one another, like, you know, it's a, you know, don't, don't give up, don't, don't, you know, don't give in, die for your faith. And all of them died, I think, to my knowledge. Cool part of this is, I don't remember how many years later it was, but any of you know St. Kateri Tekawitha? She's the first saint, they call her the Lily of the Mohawk. And the Mohawk is the easternmost tribe of the Huron Indians of the Iroquois. So she, eventually they became Catholic and she became the first great saint. But it was due to the blood of the martyrs, you know? So they say the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. But those are men. Those are men. They know how to sacrifice. And the whole thing they're doing it, they're not doing it for a woman. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for God. That's the crazy part, right? Anyway, back to my story. I mean, I finished. Okay, so that's Maximilian Colby and the North American martyrs. So how do you become a man like that, right? How do you become a man that's willing to give his life for another and not take and take and take? Because we know we want to be men like this, but how do you become men like this, okay? And again, I, I think uh, we tend to be more cowardly, as I said. I had kind of an unmanly story. I don't know much about cows. I just know that they freak me out. <clears throat> Because they're huge and they're stupid, you know. They can make any... Same with horses. I hate horses, man. I've seen so many people bucked off of horses. I, li I, I appreciate horses. I like they're majestic and beautiful, but I don't... Need, I have a car. <laughs> I don't need to ride horses anymore, right? I mean, if I have to ride a horse, I'll figure it out, but I'm not riding horse still. So anyway, I remember, like, I was hunting, and I was chasing this deer, and it went down into this pasture where these cows were. So, like, I ran down... <clears throat> So I'm running after it, and all of a sudden I look over, and there's this whole herd of cows. And they start running at me. And I'm like, frick, stampede, like, they're going to kill me. So I take out running, at, like, as fast as I can. I'm, like, running for the fence. And I'm like, this is like a movie. You know, I thought about just turning around and just firing a bullet into the cows. But then I was like, the farmer would kill me. I thought about just shooting one into the air, but that seemed like a waste of a bullet. You know, like, all these things are going through your head, and I'm just like, I'm going to die. You know, and I'm like, am I going to make the fence? You know, they're getting so close. And, like, I just, like, hit it, and I slide, and I roll under the fence, and they come, like, up to the fence, just kind of trotting and just stop. <laughs> and my buddy comes over, like, busting a gut, because he, he grew up on a farm. And he's like, why, why are you running from the cows? And I'm like, I thought it was a stampede. I thought they were going to kill me. He's like, they thought you were bringing them food. He's like, so I didn't feel much like a man that day. Um, but I want to be brave, you know? Like, I want to be brave. I do. I want to be the man that, that can do what the North American martyrs did, what St. Maximilian Colby did. You know, one of the things that stops us from being men, I think, are the lies. One we already talked about was pornography, right? But I want to, I want to write this down. Because this is, this, is, this is something good that John Paul II said in regards to man, manhood, masculinity. He said, God has assigned as a duty to every man. God has assigned as a duty to every man the dignity of every woman. God has assigned as a duty to every man 
the dignity of every woman. You know, and that's what kills me. Like, John Paul II, man, he said stuff about women. Like, if you haven't read, ladies, if you haven't read his stuff on women, like Mulieris Dignitatum, The Dignity of Woman, right? Even the parts of the theology of the body. Like, I don't know how modern woman, the modern feminist, can sit back and say the Catholic Church hates women. The stuff that John Paul II said about women is absolutely stunning, and it is beautiful. Tell me that isn't beautiful. God has assigned as a duty to every man the dignity of every woman. I mean, that just makes sense. Then what are men supposed to do? Protect the dignity of every woman. You know? I came up with this one, by the way. This is the way to go, Father. Yeah. I say, you can either be pimp or protector. How about that? That was mine. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. You're either pimp or protector. Which one are you going to be? Prowler or protector? Are you going to protect the dignity of every woman? Who am I becoming? That's a question you got to ask. Again, I, you know, Jason Everett, that, that CD I gave out, he tells his story. It was about this girl in high school. She was 17 years old. She was a pretty good girl. Like, she had, she had pretty good morals and stuff, but she went out to kind of her first party, and she got really drunk. Right? She's a lightweight. She doesn't know what she's drinking, how to drink. She gets out of control. And she's like plastered drunk, like hanging on people, trying, you know, slurring her speech. And, and at some point, this guy comes up to her, right? And he sees her kind of as an easy target. And he coaxes her into a, he's like, let's go upstairs. That's what he says to her. And there was a, a guy who was a friend of the girl. His name was Charlie. <clears throat> And Charlie came up to the guy and he said, what do you think you're doing? And the guy said, what do you think I'm doing? Get out of my way. And Charlie said, it's not going to happen tonight. And the guy said, I don't know who the hell you think you are. And this, this guy was quite a bit bigger than Charlie. He said, get out of my way. And he said, it's not going to happen tonight. And he said, I don't know why. <laughs> and this, maybe this is God's providence. But the guy just backed off and let her go and walked away. And Charlie took that girl, that 17-year-old girl who was drunk out of her mind, took her upstairs, put her into a bedroom, laid her down on a bed, pulled the door shut, and sat outside the door, leaning up against the door. Because he knew what that guy planned on doing. He knew that that guy was probably going to tell his friends, and he knew exactly where that drunk girl was going to be. And he sat there all night. Now again, you at, is, that a, is that a protector? Is that a man who knows, like, like and, and, and I think he probably would have done it for any girl. This was his friend, obviously. And Jason Everett says, you know what? I am forever indebted to Charlie because that was my wife. So as we do these things, gentlemen, as we protect the dignity of every woman, we are not only protecting maybe our future bride, but you're also protecting other men's future brides. Good men. You know, all of us make mistakes, we do dumb stuff. I mean, I, you know, there's probably a, a handful of people that have maybe gone to a party, gotten that drunk because they didn't know what they were doing with their drink. Maybe you do that every weekend, I don't know. But the point is, is like you make mistakes, but you need people that are gonna back you up, that are gonna protect you in times when you need it, right? Because there are the pimps that are not the protectors, the prowlers, the ones looking for it, the ones that want it. They want to use you, right? So Charlie is a good man, right? We want to be Charlie. <clears throat> Here is the thing, right? It's easy in our day-to-day, -day, our day and age to be an idiot. It really is. 
I mean, I think that men right now, I was, I was talking to a group of young men last night, and I said, your generation, I would say you're part of that generation too, and this is both men and women. You know, you, and, and I say that, and I'm kind of, I'm on the, I'm on the hinge of your generation, on the end of your generation, or at the beginning of your generation, the end of mine. And, and we were idiots, but like, the generation that is, is coming into high school, college right now, is quite possibly one of the most irresponsible generations to ever live. And again, I think the vast majority of it's not their fault. It's about parenting again. These kids have been given everything they've wanted, you know, like college, like going to college, that's just a birthright, you know? It's not if I'm gonna call, go to college, it's where I'm gonna go to college. You know, I mean, we, think about how that, we take that for granted. How many people in the world don't even get a shot to even go to high school? Because they just can't, they can't afford it, or it isn't, you know, it isn't available to them, or they have to take care of their families. But not us, not in first world America. And we're lazy. We are a lazy, lazy generation, right? I mean, I think, you know, like, isn't it funny too, if you look at the, our grandparents, well specifically my grandparents, I, maybe even yours are really old, if you have some really old grandparents. Like they were called the great generation, right? That's what their label was, the great generation. They were the ones that fought the wars. They were the ones that made America what it is. <clears throat> right? I think that's just a commercial I saw. It said, America was built by men in overalls. It was destroyed by men in suits. <clears throat> right? But I think that they were called the great generation. And isn't that interesting? The great generation was the generation that suffered, that sacrificed, that lost a lot of those that they loved, but determined they worked through it. And what did our generations do? Well, our parents' generations, yeah, they just, they, they took all the money and, and used it on drugs. And then, and then they made more money, because we have a very prosperous nation, and then they buy us anything and everything we want. You know, it's amazing to me, I, I was, when I was in St. Mary's, we do these, these dinners for like fundraisers, for, for when we went to Rome, when we went to Guatemala. Now, this one girl, I came up to her and I was like, we were cleaning up afterwards and I was like, here, I was like, start mopping. And she's like, what? And I'm like, mop the floor. She's like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, you've never used a mop before? She's like, no, why would I? And I'm like, mop the floor. She's like, I don't know how to do it. I said, figure it out, it's a mop. It's a bucket. What's so freaking hard about it? I came back. I'm not kidding you. In like 20 minutes, in a spot this big, there was water everywhere. Nothing. It was a flipping disaster. And she's like, <laughs> I'm like, that's not how you mop. Give me the mop. So I'm like showing her back and forth. You know, I'm like, you know, there is a reason there's a handle on this thing so we don't put all the freaking water on the floor. It was amazing to me. She doesn't know how to mop. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's just the beginning. There, there's all types of stuff. And, I mean, like, and the amount of high school kids or college kids I talk to, I'm like, where do you work? Well, I don't have a job. I had two jobs when I was in college. And I still am paying off college debt. Like, I mean, you don't work? And then, you know, these same people that don't work, don't know how to mop, they're in college, they're like, it's so hard. I'm like, shut up. Like, you don't know what work is. You don't know what responsibility is. What happens when you have your job, three kids, 
and you know, bills to pay. What are you going to do then? It's amazing to me. There's just this, it's, it's such, uh, and, and maybe, maybe lazy isn't the right word, entitled. It's the greatest entitled generation to exist in a long time. And again, as I said, most of it is not your guys' fault. Okay? But I think at the same time, you know, we have to strive to be great in the midst of this nightmare. Okay? Some of you might say, uh, you know, that if everybody was working hard together, it might be easier. Right? Or maybe some of the guys would say, you know, like it's the girls' fault. The reason we're idiots, the reason we struggle is because of how they dress. It's their fault. Maybe if they dress, maybe if they had a little more respect for themselves, we might have more respect for them, right? But I always blame the man. I always blame the man for the, for the mess we're in right now, for the entitled generation. I always, always, always blame the man because the man is called to lead and called to protect, not just protect you know, the good people and all those that are, but even the bad. They're called to make people great, even the worst. You know? So I always blame the man. So the first thing I, I want to, there's, there's these lies that I want to break. Uh, and there's, there's three lies, okay? Actually, there's four lies. And I want, you to, I want you to write down these four lies. And these are, these are four lies, okay? That, uh, that we have to break. I know that sounds weird, but we have to go against these lies. Okay. There are rules that maybe your parents uh, may have told you, or teachers, CCD teachers, maybe even it's like what the church tells you in some ambiguous form, right? That this is how, what it means to be a man. The first lie is this, never get into a fight. Just be a good little boy. Don't get into a fight. <clears throat> Parents tell you all this all the time. Don't get into a fight, be a good little boy. I remember the, the first fight that I was actually part of. Most of the time I just got hit in the face because I was trying to break up fights. Um, I hate fighting. I mean, I like it. I like to watch it. <laughs> but like, it only has to go so far, you know? Like a fight, and, and what, I, the, what I hate is when just belligerent drunks want to fight. I hate that. I hate random violence. If you've done something wrong and you need to get your ass kicked, that's okay. But even that should only go so far. Like, you don't have to put the guy in the hospital. Bloody him up a little bit and let's move on. Okay? But the first, like, legitimate fight, and, and, and I probably deserved it. I, I've never been, like, in an all-out brawl. Because I, I, either, I either get hit when I'm breaking up a fight, or I, I, or this happens. <clears throat> so, I was in college at NDSU, and I worked at this little sports bar, just uh, right, right across from the Fargo Dome. I don't even, it was, I don't know what it's called now, but. And uh, as I was, so I was, we had this Christmas party, and I really didn't like, no offense to football players, if you're still here, I didn't really like football players uh, at NDSU. Um, they, they, were, they were so cocky, and I'm sure they're better now, but they were so cocky, and like, it was just like, it, it was all about me, and like, I'm big crap on campus, and whatever. So anyway, one of our servers, this girl, Bobby, she was dating the, the football, or the quarterback for NDSU's football team. I didn't even know who this guy was, and he showed up to the Christmas party with his like, lineman, 
like his block, one of his blockers, this dude was a freaking monster. And I'm like, that's a big guy. <laughs> like, and, and the quarterback, he wasn't that good. I don't remember what his name was, but he wasn't that good. And so we got, we started this pool tournament. Okay? Now, now I had, I'll admit, I had a few beers. I was not in any way intoxicated, but I was kind of at the, what they call the hilarity point. That's what they call it when you drink it is hilarity, which is when you're just having a good time. You know, you're not blackout. You still you remember the next day what happened, you know, but you're just having a good time drinking some beer. So that's the point I was at. And we had this tournament bracket for a pool because it was a long, it was this huge Christmas party, free drinks, free food. You know, the owner was awesome. But uh, so we get this tournament bracket, my buddy, Justin Simpson and I, we, we were first up and our first opponent was uh, this quarterback and his lineman. And he got up and he, and he, he like, he's up and he breaks and it was like the worst break I'd ever seen. Like, I'm not a very good pool player, but I mean, this was terrible. And I'm like, oh man, I was like, if your pool game or if your football game is anything like your pool game, we got this game in the bag. You know, and like all of a sudden, like I didn't know the night before he threw four interceptions. So like this was, this was on his mind. And like the, this, this huge line, he's like, why are you gonna go there? I'm like, what are you talking about? I was just talking some trash, you know? He's like, you don't go to football, man. And I'm like, who, what? Well, he can speak for himself, can he? He's like, I protect him on and off the field. And I'm like, frick, you know? <laughs> I'm in a bit of a bind here. Like, I don't want to fight this guy because it won't even be a fight. So, you know, I, I kind of like, all right, man, you know, like, I'm sorry. You know, I was just, I was been beer speaking, you know? And, uh, but anyway, so, like, later on in the night, so it went on, whatever, and he was just kind of eyeing me all night, this quarterback. Well, then I'm sitting, and I'm like, my buddy's, my buddy's here, and I'm here, and we're sitting at the bar, and all of a sudden, somebody taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and just, bam, just, boom, and I'm like, hit the ground. My buddy, this guy's a brawler, like, and he's just a scrapper, he's just look, he jumps off of his chair, and I'm not kidding you, this lineman, so like, he was jumping at the quarterback, the lineman stepped in, and grabbed him by the shirt midair and like put him back down in his chair. And I'm like, frick, that hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm like, come on, man. Like this guy was bigger than me. I mean, like, let's, if we're gonna do this, let's do this. Like, what? You're gonna blindside me? You know, coward. There's a coward again. I mean, so anyway, that was my fight. <clears throat> so I thought I'd tell you about that. <laughs> Wasn't much of a fight, really. Uh, anyway, but yeah, we need to get into fights. <clears throat> You need to write that down. We need to fight. Men need to fight. Okay? And I'm not talking about fist fights. <clears throat> that might happen from time to time. What I mean is we have to fight for masculinity and fight for the dignity of women. <clears throat> this idea that like I'm never I'm always supposed to be a good little boy, that's crap. We need to fight for women, we need to fight for our masculinity. So practically what does this look like, right? I want to give you three practical things. <clears throat> Actually, two. The third one will be for, for those in, that play any sports or... Actually, you know, it might not just be the... Anyway, number one, do whatever you can. And this, ladies, you should be writing this down too simply because you need to tell your men that are in your life this stuff. Number one, again, I hate to harp on it, but whatever, do anything in your power to get pornography out of your life. That is the first fight that every man must enter into. And again, like I, I hate to be harping on it, but again, if you look at if you look at statistical numbers, 
they're, they're through the roof right now about men that struggle with it. I'm not saying everybody's addicted to it, but they struggle with it. Do whatever it takes to get that out of your life, okay? Number two, if you have a girlfriend, gentlemen, you respect and protect her. <clears throat> and that is a fight. You know, I heard a story once of a guy, he said, <clears throat> he, was in, uh, he was in marriage prep, and he said, you know, like, I get what you're saying, Father. I get what you're saying, man. Like, I would, I would die for my girlfriend, right? I mean, I, I sleep with her, but I would die with her. I would or die for her. I would give myself in any way for her, right? I respect the heck out of her. I would take a bullet for her. And this priest looked at me and said, will you take the bullet of not sleeping with her? How about that? You're such a man. You're so tough. You'd die for her. How about you die the death of not having sex with her? These are the kind of fights that we need to get into, gentlemen. Okay? Three. This is the one I put. I said it's more for sports. Uh, but I think, you know, maybe maybe for ladies and, and gossip, maybe. Men and gossip. I don't know. But uh, clean up the locker room. What I mean by that is the talk. I mean, ladies, you'd be amazed at what is said in men's locker rooms. It's unbelievable. Trust me, I was in high school once. I played college sports. Okay. And then in that sense, and maybe, gentlemen, maybe it is in the locker room. Maybe it's at parties. Maybe it's within your group of friends. Are you going to stand up like Charlie did? Are you going to be able to fight for the dignity of women? When somebody's talking about maybe his girl and how he's like, yeah, I got this girlfriend, but I'm cheating on her. Are you man enough to fight that guy? And I'm not saying you step up and hit him, although he might need to be hit. But you say, really, man? Really? Is that, is, that, is that what you think it means to be a man? Because, you know, what he's expecting, what men are expecting is that people are going to cheer them on. Yeah, you're the man, you know, yeah, as many as you can, blah, 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 blah. Are you going to be man enough to fight for the dignity of woman? That's the fight that you have to engage in. Are you willing to die that death, fight that fight, okay? Um, another fight. Are you willing to fight for your faith? Gentlemen, going to Mass, praying, fast for your future spouse. How many of you fast for your future spouse? That's a heck of a thing to do. I mean, just the, the sheer discipline of fasting. You know, I'm talking about this entitlement. I'm talking about, like, you get everything you want. I swear when people come out, you know, it's like Lent. And, and for Christians, you say you don't eat meat on, and on Friday. Friday rolls around, like you go out to a restaurant, and they're like, Ow! I can't eat meat! I guess I have to get lobster. You know, like, come on! Like, you can't fast for one freaking day, you worthless zero? Like, grow up! I remember I asked one of, uh, a wrestler, one of my past students, he was a wrestler, hell of a wrestler. He had a wrestler out here at University of Mary. I asked him one time, I said, what is the longest you ever fasted to make weight? You know what his answer was? Five days. Five days he went without food to make weight. And people are complaining about, they, like, they can't have pepperoni pizza. they got to have cheese. Like, come on. Like, are we really at that point? Like, we can't even discipline ourselves just with that? I mean, we have the, the, the fight just for discipline in your life, fellas. 
Because if you, if you have no discipline, if you're a man that's ruled by your pleasure, your wife eventually is going to exploit that. <clears throat> Probably through no fault of her own, but just because you're pathetic. You have to be disciplined. And again, I'm not saying like, I got this down, I'm an idiot, I still make terrible mistakes. But I know the road. I know the road and I know where I need to be and I know that I have to fast. I know that I have to discipline. I know that I can't just get whatever I want. Like there's things like sometimes when you maybe you want to buy something, and this can work for women too. You want to go out and buy something. Do you really need it? Can you be disciplined enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to take that because I don't need it. Otherwise, when you get married and you have family, you're just going to start amassing stuff because you're never satisfied. You just constantly want more. I remember like, I got a great car. It's paid off. Like I've kept it up to date. I've done all the maintenance on it. It's a great car. And every time I see a truck commercial, I want a truck. And I try to convince myself that I need a truck. And I, you know, I can be, I'm like, I need, I got, well, I hunt. For two weeks out of the year, maybe combined total. Why fish at your uncle's lake cabin where everything's provided? Like, are we willing to sit back and say, just not just like do, not just go and get and take and like we have to fight and the fight mainly, the fight that you need to engage is with yourself. You have got to fight yourself. You've got to fight others for the dignity of women. You've got to fight yourself for virtue. St. Francis of Assisi called his, bro his body brother ass. I love that. Brother ass. And so he'd be sitting there, you know, and brother ass would be complaining about all the, you know, like, you know, that's when your body's like, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. You know, and Francis would be like, oh, you're tired? Okay, we're going to stay up another two hours and pray. Oh, you're hungry. Well, we're going to eat dirt today. <laughs> oh, you're thirsty. Well, I guess we're just not going to drink anything. <laughs> like, that's the taming of the pleasures, you guys. And I'm not saying you got to be as radical as Francis. The dude ate dirt. <laughs> By the way, I didn't make that up. He ate dirt. You know, or like, he'd be like, oh, I just need a comfortable bed to sleep in. No, we're going to sleep on the rocks tonight. His pillow, if you go to a CZ, it says St. Francis's pillow, and it's a rock. <laughs> I love it. It's a rock. <clears throat> like, are we disciplined enough? Like, you know, like, if you're having lustful temptations, will you get into the shower and turn it ice cold? Are you going to fight yourself on that? To overcome that temptation. You know what Francis did when he had lustful temptations? I'm not suggesting this. Take the cold shower. Francis rolled around in a rose bush. Naked. Yeah. Wasn't that like his biggest thing was lust? Like yeah, I mean, he struggled with it intensely. And he just said, I finally one day he's like, I've had it. And he just like ran at a rose bush. It's like a jackass moment, you know, like from that movie. But this was real deal. Like he wasn't trying to be an idiot. He was trying to combat his body. And he ran at the rose bush and jumped in it. St. Benedict did the same thing. The cool part, if you ever get to go to Rome and you go to Assisi, those rose bushes are still there. And the rose bushes, they're the only place in the world where the, the, the rose bush does not grow thorns. There's no thorns. And they say it was because of Francis's blood that sanctified the bush. You know, like that guy was intense. Are we willing to be intense like that, fellas? Now I'm not saying again, like you don't have to be that crazy, but can you do something daily? Can you fight yourself daily? You know, there's a reason the church has Lent. 
Because she wants you, if you haven't given up, you've been totally entitled the entire year, for 40 days, try to discipline yourself. Because the, the, the ramifications of it, the consequences of it are awesome if you do it. And stuff never gets old. You always have joy. Stuff is ever new because you're constantly giving it up and then you get it back and then you give it up and you give it back and it's new every time. This is why the church says practice NFP. Natural family planning. Abstain from sex when you're in the fertile period. Why? Because abstinence encourages desire. So during the times of abstinence, you're not having sex. Guess what? When you can't have sex, it's like Super Bowl time. But it's because you have discipline. If you're just having sex whenever you want to have sex, it gets old. And then you got to move on to the next one. Instead of disciplining the body, fighting the body. So fellas, that's the first thing. Get into a fight. Right? I mean, Jesus got into a fight all the way to the cross. You know, to not fight... This is great. To not fight for what is good and true and beautiful. Monsignor Richter uses this all the time. I love it. Maybe he used it in the talk that he gave you. I don't know. But to not fight. The Catholic Church has a word for this. It's called pusillanimous. I'm serious. That's the word. Pusillanimous. And you can define it just like it sounds. The church first called men Pusillanimous. I'm not sure how you spell it. <laughs> I get P-U-S-I-L-A-N-I-M-O-U-S, something like that. Pusillanimous. Okay, so the boy who doesn't stand up for what it means to be masculine or feminine is a pusillanimous man. I love that. It's great. Number two. Second lie. <clears throat> Never think about sex. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Don't ever think about it. Stay away from it. <clears throat> I'm telling you, break that. Think about sex. Think about it. But what I mean by that is so many, so often people write about sex, they sing about sex, they make so, so, jokes about sex, but they never really think about what's going on. I want you to think about sex. I want you to question sex. What's the purpose of it? What's the meaning of it? Why is, does it exist? Think about these things. So then when you engage in that act, you know what you're doing. So many people sex, like, like they don't think about it. They're just like, it's an act, it's pleasurable, woo! And that's it. Without ever really critically thinking about what it is, what's its purpose. Learn what sex is, not just the body stuff. <laughs> Right? Not just the, like the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Physiological stuff. Talking about what's going on between the persons. Learn about that. Read about it. Okay? And the third rule I want you to break is play it safe. <clears throat> you should always play it safe. Okay? Like once you're converted and following the Lord, you just hang out with other converts and play it safe. I don't ever go out and engage the world. You gotta play it safe. You gotta put your faith out there. I think I told you a story, but the one, the one that always cracks me up is when I was in the steam room at the YMCA. Did I tell you about this? And the guy was just cussing up a storm. This guy was sitting there, and I'm sitting there. You know, I'm not, obviously not wearing my clerics in the steam room, so my black. 
I'm just sitting in a towel, and he's talking. He's like, oh, man. He's like, what the F are you doing? I'm like, I'm sitting in the steam room. What are you doing? He's like, oh, man, I was just effing thinking about this effing hunt. I went on effing yesterday, man. I effing shot this effing buck. And I mean, it was like, oh my God. I'm like, dude, like, you could try. <laughs> like, you're not even trying. Like, it was like every third word was the F word. And the best part was when he's like, at the end, he's like, he's like, so what the F do you do? I'm like, I'm a Catholic priest. He's like, no shit. <laughs> well, it's getting hot in here. And he went out. So why did he go out? Because he was—he realized he was an idiot. But he never thought of been like, oh, I'm a teacher. Right? That never would have, it never would have, there wouldn't have been any like conviction in his heart that he was doing something wrong. You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I'm a priest. Like, I, it's, that, 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 by the way, is so fun as a priest. <clears throat> when you like go on vacation or stuff and you're, you're in different places, and you're just, you were not wearing our clerics, you know, like we go out to eat and we're just wearing a, just our regular clothes. And then it, it inevitably comes to the point, like, when are we going to reveal that we're priests? <laughs> sometimes you're just like, oh, just keep it going. <laughs> Don't tell them yet. It's just getting more and more awkward once we tell them. You know, and it's like, it's really fun for us. But like, is that, is it fun for you guys? You know, like, when am I going to reveal that I'm a Catholic? You know? Why, why, why are you getting a fish sandwich today, man? Fish is nasty. It's McDonald's. That stuff's, like, toxic. Because I'm a Catholic, and it's Friday, and we fast on Friday, you idiot. No, like, I don't know why we have to... I mean, you should be more charitable now, but I mean, like, I don't know why we have to be so defensive all the time, and, like, you know, like, I just be... I, I just... I like fish. You know, just say it! Put yourself out there for crying out loud. What's the big deal? You know, I remember this... There was this waitress at... at, at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, and I was I was I was sitting talking to her, and I just got done with softball. I was playing softball with this group of guys, and we said, "Let's go go to Wild Wings, have some beers and some wings." So we're sitting talking, and she was like, she was very beautiful. She's a very beautiful woman, but I, I hate at Buffalo Wild Wings they wear like the sluttiest outfits, like these these girls, man. And like at one point, I just came over and I was like, you know what? I was like, I just want to tell you, like you have a lot of natural beauty, and you're showing off way too much of it. And she started crying. She said, that is the nicest thing someone has ever said to me. And I said, the reason why nobody's saying anything nice to you is because of the way you're dressed. Say, so tell you what, I'm going to give you my number, because I know lots of guys have asked for your number. Here's my number. I said, if you ever want to call and talk to a Catholic priest about what it means to be a woman, feel free to call me. Like we gotta put ourselves out there. I remember I met this this guy at NDSU. <clears throat> this girl's walking around, just I mean, she looked like a hooker. And he went up to her and he's like, I just wanna say, like, you're you're an incredibly gorgeous woman. Like, and I'm not hitting on you. <laughs> like you're a you're just a beautiful woman, but like the stuff you're wearing, like I I can't focus on who you are as a person. Like, are you willing to say that to a girl? Are you want to put yourself out there like that? Or are you just gonna play it safe? I'm just gonna play it safe in my faith, right? We gotta break this rule. Risk your relationships, your popularity, your reputation. Go all out for the Lord. You know, that's what men do. They're all in whenever they do things. When they're all in on sports, they're all in. When they're all in on their faith, they're all in. You know, think about St. Joseph. We're gonna talk a ton about that guy. Holy cow, is that guy all in? He put everything on the line. Give the Lord your youth. 
think that I heard that line once in a talk. I wish I'd even, you know, I was pretty young when I got ordained. I wish I would have been even younger. Give the Lord your youth. And everybody's like, I'm just going to have my fun right now. I'm not going to worry about the consequences. I'm not going to worry about all the, the odds and ends that will come out of that. I'll, I'll, you know, you hear this all the time, like marriage prep. I'm like, do you guys go to mass? No, but we're going to start when we have kids. Great. I mean, what do you want me to do? Start clapping, give you a cookie? Like, that's a terrible idea. If you think you have a habit of not going to mass and that's just going to change when you have kids, I mean, you've got to educate your kids. You need to start now. Just play it safe. It's all this. Just play it safe. Give the Lord your youth. Go all out for him, man. You know? Some of you might think that, you know, being a man, you know, like, like, you know, there might be that girl you've always wanted to ask out. Then ask her out. Put yourself out there. I remember there was a guy in high school I went to. He asked, like, every girl in the school out. And he dated, like, half of them. Just because he asked. It was amazing, and he was a loser. Like, he's just a dork. But the girls loved him. You know why? Because he was a man. He was initiating. That's what men do. They initiate. They're supposed to lead. So they're coming up to the girl, you know, and they're like, I want to date you. And the girl, I'm like, you're crazy. Okay. Well, I want to date you, you know? And it wasn't just he was doing it at random. Like, these were girls that he really he liked, and he wanted to just take out and show a good time. And they loved him for it. You know? If you're not doing this stuff, you're pusillanimous. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> All right. Number four. <clears throat> By the way, I just just a little little caveat, a little nuance on what I just said. When we put ourselves all out there and we get into fights and we do all this stuff, we do it. We don't do it just to be in people's faces, right? We do it out of love. You know. So like, if I'm calling a guy. It's just being a, a jerk. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it just to get into a fight with him. I'm doing it because I expect better of him, and I want him to be better. And if he asks me, like, who the hell are you to judge me? I'll be like, buddy, I want you to be a better man. And what you're doing right now is killing you. And you'd be amazed, because most of the guys that are doing this stuff are pusillanimous. They're not men. And if you stand up to them, they back down right away because they're cowards. They're pusillanimous. It's just a great word. I love that word. Number four. Okay, this is a lie I want you to break. Never give in to peer pressure. You hear that all the time. Don't ever give in to peer pressure. Now just a little side note. This is good wisdom in the sense of what not to do. Right? You shouldn't give in to peer pressure about stuff that's bad, obviously. But you should be giving into peer pressure about what's good. We should be pressuring each other to be good. You know, you think about how much peer pressure there is to be bad. Well, you got to drink, you got to smoke, you got to get high, you got to do this, you got to have sex, you got to. What about like, you got to be holy? <laughs> you know? I remember that with my buddy. When I joined the seminary, my so called friends, right? I was like, at one point, I just said to them, they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, I, like you want to go to church? And they're like, no. And I'm like, what the hell, man? If I told you, you want, I want to go to the bar, you'd follow me right away. But now that I'm trying to make your life better, you're, you're running? We need good peer pressure. Blessed, uh, blessed peer, Giorgio Frassati. This dude, he was just a dude, man. He, he mountain climbed, he smoked cigars, he drank whiskey. I mean, but just a holy, holy man. Here's his example of peer pressure. 
he would go, he's a really good pool player, he would go and he would he would challenge somebody. So like he'd go up to you and be like, all right, let's play pool. You know, they're, they're at the pub or whatever. He's like, here's the deal. If you beat me, because he was like a rock star pool player, he never lost. He's like, you beat me, I'll give you 20 bucks. But if I beat you, you come with me to Eucharistic Adoration for one hour. And people took him up. That's good peer pressure. <laughs> you beat me, I'll give you 50 bucks. I beat you, you pray a rosary for me on your knees with me beside you. I'm going to sit, though. You know, we, don't, we never make bets like that. Oh, the gospel. Think about the gospel. Lowering down the paralytic, right? Those, that's good peer pressure. He's got good friends surrounding him. Those guys brought this broken, crippled guy all the way. They ripped the roof open and dropped him down. Do you have guys, do you, gentlemen, do you have men in your lives, and women too, do you, have, do you have women in your lives that if you're seriously sick and suffering from a sin, that they are going to take you to the confessional? That they're going to say, buddy, you need counseling. <laughs> you're crazy right now. Girls, look at you. You're drunk every night. We need, you, you need, we need help. Let's get some help for you. Instead, people just encourage the sin. So who do you have in your life that's a positive influence? It's calling you to peer pressure to holiness. All right? Number five. Wait, did you say there was four? I said there's five. I swear. Hey, don't tell me what I said. <laughs> there was four, but now there's five. <laughs> Never ask directions. <clears throat> this is the kind of cliche for men, right? Never ask directions. We do it. Uh, we get, I know where I'm going. Shut up. Honey, should we guess? No. <laughs> I know where I am. <laughs> no, I mean, we do this. I, I hate asking directions. But I've kind of gotten to the point where I realize I am so directionally challenged. <laughs> you know, like when I was leading pilgrims in Rome, it was almost like every time, because Father Josh, he's like a buddy of mine, like he's directionally like the dude, you could like spin him in a circle blindfold and stop and be like, north. <laughs> like he knows exactly where he is all the time. And so like we're walking and I'm and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to think, I'm like, oh, it's like Piazza Navona, I was like left. He's like, it's right. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, like every time, I was like 90% of the time, like, everybody go right. No, go left. Okay, left. Because he was right every time. Like I'm and so now I just the hell with it. I just ask directions all the time. Right? But, but what, I, what I mean by this is I said, don't ask, never ask for directions. We need to ask for help. Like, you can't do this on your own, especially in the day and age we live in, man. You need help. When we are lost, we need to ask for help. And you got to find people that you trust, that care about you. You know? And I'd like, I, I don't know who your, your, your parish priests are, or, you know, if you're, if you're Protestant, who your pastor is. I don't, I don't know who that is, but I hope it's a man you can trust, you could go to for guidance. I volunteer myself. If, you're, if, you, if you need direction, you need help, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that we can meet all the time, but I will make time to meet with you to help you in whatever way I can. Because I know people need help, and there are not good leaders out there. You need to talk about, remember talking about Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal? Remember he slits their throats? How many prophets of God, how many true prophets are there? I think that's a pretty good ratio right now in the modern world. How many false prophets leading you to all false worship? 450 to 1. So I know that, that, that leaders that are trying to help people be better people, are they're a minority. 
but you need to ask for help. You need to find somebody in your life that you trust, that can teach you how to be a man, and you need to go to them and ask them what to do, and then you gotta do it. And I know it's not gonna be easy at first, you're gonna struggle a little bit, but that's okay, but you gotta keep going, right? So what kind of man do you wanna be? That's the question I have for you fellas. What kind of man do you wanna be? And how do you wanna be remembered? Pope Benedict has said this, the world will offer you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. It's one of the best lines I've heard from a pope in a long time. The world will offer you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And as I said, I was, I was talking to Levi back there. I said, the model for masculinity, gentlemen, is Jesus Christ himself. You just can't find a more manly man than that guy. Wherever, I need you to like, all the images of Jesus that you have from your childhood, get them out of your head. Get them out of your head. You know, like, the one that I dislike the most, I don't know if you've seen it, but it shows Jesus and he's holding a lantern and he's by a door and he's going to like get ready to knock. Now, I get it, you know, the scriptural, like, I'm at the door and I knock, you know. Behold, I'm at the door knocking. But like, Mr. Ruggles showed us that picture. Huh? Who did? I don't like that picture. Maybe Mr. Ruggles does. He's comfortable in his masculinity. But the thing I hate about it is like, I mean, I get it. Like, and I re I'm sure the reason he likes it is because it does this, it conveys this beautiful truth. But at the same time, it just shows like, there's all these pictures of Jesus. And like, he just doesn't look very manly. You know, like the picture, one of my favorite pictures of him, should I just pulled it up? If you haven't seen The Passion, watch The Passion. But when he, my favorite, I think my favorite scene, I would love to just get a picture of him, blow it up, and like put it in a frame, is the part when he falls. He's carrying the cross and he falls, and Mary comes running to him. Right? I mean, if you don't start crying, I don't think you have a soul at that point. Because it is like the most touching point of that. Like, it takes your heart out, throws it on the ground, and like stops on it until you start crying. <clears throat> but he, as she, she's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here for you. And he grabs her face, and he's like, I mean, it's so, it's so he's, you know, blood. He's got the thorns, the cross is on his shoulder, and he grabs her face, and he's like shaking. And he's like, behold, mother, I make all things new. And he just like lifts up, and you're like, frick! Like, that is a dude! Like, he is getting beat to hell. And what does he say when his mother comes to him? Not like, Mommy, help me. <laughs> Mommy, it hurts. He reaches and grabs her face. He's like clenching her face and saying, I make all things new. And then I have to, he, she's like almost like at this point, like, you're killing me. You're putting me through this. And he says, I have to. I have to do this. And he lifts up the cross and keeps going. It is one of the most powerful images of what masculinity looks like. I mean, anytime you don't think Jesus Christ is a man, you just got to read the scriptures. And that's why I say read the gospels because they show what kind of man he was. Way too often we get these images in our, our, our head of like, you know, the happy Jesus that just, you know, give hugs. Come on. Right? I mean, like, this is the same guy that like freaked out, threw over tables, and beat people with a whip. This is the same guy that told stories. You know the story of the, the talents? I'm not talking about the one that had three, the one that had you know five, three, and one. I'm talking about when the guy who was in debt, there's a story of the talents, and it says, 
There was a man who owed an enormous sum of money. Now Jesus, as he says, and his master came to him and said, pay me the debt. And anytime he talks about the master, he's talking about who? Himself. He's the master. And the guy, now this massive sum, it says this huge debt. The problem is they never should have taken out the original translation. The original translation is 10,000 talents. One talent took 15 years of daily wages to earn. I did the calculations of this. What Jesus is saying is, in modern day and age, there was a man who owed his master $7 billion. And he said, please, he fell at his knees. He said, please forgive me the debt. I, I, I can't pay it. I have a wife. I have kids. And the master forgave him. He said, your, kid, your debt is canceled. And then he goes out. So there's the loving Jesus, right? $7 billion. What's that supposed to be? An unpayable debt, which is what you and I have with original sin. We can't pay our debt. So he paid it for us. And then the guy goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him like, I don't know, like 200 bucks. And he's like, pay me my money. And he's like, I can't give me time. And he starts choking the man. Like he's going to kill him if he doesn't pay his money. Well, then word gets back to the master. He said, you're never going to believe what this guy just did. <laughs> you forgave him $7 billion. And he almost killed a man over $200. And then he says this, and this is what we got to remember. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, who we as Christians worship. He says this. They brought the servant before him, and he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you your entire debt, and you couldn't forgive even the smallest debt of your neighbor. And then my favorite line, I mean, it kind of freaks me out. <clears throat> he says, get this wicked servant out of my face and make him pay every penny. I mean, that, and then, you know, like, in, in, I, I don't know if you're Catholic or not, but it's great because in Catholic Mass, we always say at the end of that, we're like, the gospel of the Lord. And everybody's like, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I don't know why everybody's, was anybody listening? <laughs> I've said that before in my homilies, you know, I'm like, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm like, were you listening? Were any of you listening to the gospel? Because you should all be, like, freaked out right now. That's God. I mean, he's... He also says, you know, he's like, other people, you know, he's like, they'll be cast out into the darkness where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. That's Jesus saying that. So the same guy that says, thou shalt not judge, which is everybody's favorite scripture passage, is also the one that said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, so my father will do with you just like he did with that wicked servant that couldn't forgive his neighbor. Because we have an infinite debt that couldn't be paid, and he paid a debt that he didn't owe. As we... What time is it? Oh, Frank. There's never enough time in this class. So, <clears throat> next week, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna listen to that CD. You gotta find a CD player too. That might be hard these days. Um, but you gotta, you gotta find a CD player. You gotta listen to it. Uh, you're gonna write a one-page paper on it. Okay. This is a reflection, so it can't be wrong. It just has to be one page, grammatically somewhat secure, and and you have to hand it in. That's it. Trying to give you some free points here. Um, and then next week, I want to look specifically at two, three men. Okay, We're going to look at Judas Iscariot, St. Peter, 
and then we're going to look at St. Joseph. Okay. Yeah. You want the next week? I do want the elaborate next week as well. Questions, concerns? Wild water shootout. Huh? Wild water 